Welcome to the Hedgemaker Broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. That last verse talked about laboring for a reward. We want to talk about that tonight in our study of Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 10, verse number 28, Mark 10:28, And we'll just read four verses, verses 28, 29, 30, and 31. This is following on the heels of the lesson regarding the rich young ruler and the teaching that Jesus gave regarding that, calling that man to go home, sell all that he had, and give to the poor. And that's what he was lacking. And the disciples are having some trouble understanding that teaching. So Peter began to say unto him, verse 28 of Mark 10, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. We did what you told that rich young ruler to do. We have left all and followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last and the last first. Now let me just throw out a thought here. I often wonder, and, and we say this, that we ought to really serve the Lord because we love Him, not necessarily because of the rewards that we get from Him. And I think there's some truth to that. But I also think there's probably some motivation that should be gained from getting rewards. And also there's a difference in philosophy in parenting, whether you should reward your children for doing the things that they ought to do or as expected of them. Like a servant. We're talking about servants in Mark's Gospel. Does a servant, should a servant, be rewarded for things that he should do? Good question. I think we find from this passage of Scripture that the Lord is going to reward us for faithful service, doing the things we ought to do. Not necessarily going beyond, but doing the things that we ought to do. And so, yes, I think there should be a reward for doing things that we ought to do. I think you'd probably go overboard with that, too, as a parent. So, you know, wisdom, there's different styles of parenting and how things are, be, are, are to be done. I like to watch our parent, God, our Father, 
and watch what he does. So Peter is not really asking about rewards, not specifically, but in a sense he is. He's saying to the Lord, Lo, we've left all and followed thee. What do we get for that? And so the Lord answers him. And Peter's often a spokesman for all of the disciples, so Peter's not the one only thinking this. The others are as well. He's the voice for the others. So I want to make rewards the theme of the message tonight. And we'll give you a couple of lists. Two conditions for reward, four promised rewards, and then we'll conclude the message with two changes in the order of exaltation from verse number 31. Two conditions for rewards are found in what Peter says in verse number 28. He says, Lo, number one, we have left all. We have left all. Peter was one of the fishermen that Jesus initially called. They were fishing in their, with, their, with their father and, and others, and they left all and have followed Christ. So they left the fishing profession all that it took. I believe that the disciples, those initial disciples, were called to follow the Lord full time, right off the bat. And they left all that they had and followed the Lord. As we mentioned in our geography lesson in Sunday school, I think the ministry of the Lord it was a daily ministry, not just a weekend ministry on the synagogue, but every day ministering in the synagogue or wherever. Now, they did have synagogue services on Saturday, on the Sabbath, but I think the synagogue was also open uh, throughout the week. It's not recorded so much that the Lord met in the marketplace. Paul is going to do that, but there are opportunities for the Lord to preach to the crowds on mountainsides, hillsides, in perhaps the plain of Gennesaret, preach one time while he was sitting in a boat and the crowd was on the shore. So there's a lot of different types of opportunities for the Lord to preach. These are not just taking place on the Sabbath. They are taking place throughout the, the day. So I believe the three-and-a-half to four-year ministry of the Lord was a very, very busy three-and-a-half, four years. And we read several times that he tried to get apart himself and draw his disciples apart. So it wasn't that the disciples were fishermen during the week and disciples of Christ on the weekend. They were full-time with the Lord and busy with him. So they left all, left everything to follow the Lord. I think that's the first condition for rewards. We have left all. Now, for us, that's probably more likely a spiritual type of an application. There have been people in the past, of course, who have advocated that not just preachers, but every Christian should leave everything, leave their profession, and just follow the Lord and do whatever else. I don't think that's what the Lord means for us to do. Yes, there is the adage in Matthew chapter 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, which we ought to do, and all these things shall be added unto you. But at the same time, there are teachings in the scriptures elsewhere, if a man doesn't work, neither let him eat. So you can pray all you want to, but if you do not work, neither let him eat. There needs to be a balance between all of that, but I don't think that the disciples and the Lord worked a what we would call a secular job anymore. I think they felt that they were full-time in the ministry and there's uh, different parables and things 
teach that they should be live of the ministry, and I believe they did that. Well, for us, leaving all things is more of a mindset than perhaps an actuality. If the Lord calls us to do that, then that's another thing. When Dr. Dickerson, he wasn't doctor at that time, but young man working at one of the car factories, and he began to preach at Jones Chapel there at Elkton. It was one of the old Sunday schools. They built them like churches. They started these Sunday schools all around the place, places where folks from the area could come. They didn't have a church, didn't have a pastor, but they said, we can at least teach the Bible. And so they started these Sunday schools. Well, that's what Jones Chapel was, and Pastor Dickerson started preaching there. And then after probably a year or two, he felt like the Lord wanted him to quit his job and go full-time in the ministry. And he did that, and the Lord blessed. And some people God directs to do that. So he did. And that's what these disciples did. Probably more so for us, this leaving all means centering one's life and possessions upon Christ and using all one is and has to serve the Lord and to meet the needs of the world. We really work a job, well, one, to care for our needs, But then also, we're supposed to be working to care for the needs of others. That's really the teaching of the Bible. Matthew 6 again says, Putting Christ first, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's an attitude of putting Christ first. It doesn't mean that we ought to leave our profession and just trust the Lord to provide our needs, unless that's exactly what the Lord tells us to do. So we've left all. It's more of an attitude, meaning centering your life and possessions upon Christ. You see, before you got saved, your life was centered in you. You did everything for yourself. It's a natural thing. We still have problems with that as Christians, zeroing in on ourselves instead of zeroing in on Christ. But when we leave all, in a sense, that's the way you have to come to Christ, right? You're grasping at this or that for salvation, looking for ways to please the Lord or to earn your way to heaven, And you have to leave all of that and embrace Christ, trust Christ. So the way of salvation is really the same as the way of serving the Lord. When we serve the Lord, our attitude is, let's let go of all things else except Christ. So we center our life now upon the Lord Jesus Christ. What does the Lord want? Not what does Lehenites want. And some people try to be pious about that. Well, I'm not living for me. I'm living for my wife and my kids. Well, okay, but ultimately it comes back to us. The Bible tells us that no man yet ever hated his own life. We all love ourselves. That's what we do before we come to Christ. Now when we get saved, we leave all of that and then now embrace Christ. So we must leave all. The second condition for reward is, Peter says, we have followed thee. You have to leave everything, and then number two, you need to follow Christ. It's not enough just to leave everything. You need to follow Christ. Go where Christ leads you to go. And, of course, the disciples did that. The Lord, of course, was giving a message of uh, the true Messiah, and they had to leave all of the false doctrines, teachings about the Christ, and follow Christ to go where he wanted them to go as we're studying the life of Christ. I think I pointed to that last Sunday as the Lord moves along in his ministry, he gradually gets his disciples to actually participate in the ministry. 
not just to watch him and observe him and help him, but to actually do what he was doing. And I think you see that developing as you work your way through the gospel accounts and follow the life of Christ so that they are now following him in the sense of doing what he would do. That's what we should be doing, doing what Christ has done. Two conditions for reward. Peter said, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. Now, what are some of the rewards? So we have four promised rewards in Mark chapter 10. And it, it comes off of this list that Jesus gives as an answer to Peter when Peter stated that he left all. And Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters, father, mother, wife, children, land for my sake in the gospel. And then he says, but shall receive an hundredfold. So all of those things you leave, God restores. God's the God of restoration. What are those four promised rewards? I've tried to alliterate them. Number one is people. The giving of housing and, and family. People. Fathers, sisters, mothers. And sometimes we're in the ministry, we have to leave that. Paul talked about that. We don't know if Paul was married or not. I don't know if we can be definitive about that. Peter, we know what? Peter's wife's mother. So Peter had a wife. And at one point, Paul was talking about Peter as an example to lead about a wife like Peter. So Peter took his wife and, and took her on the ministry. Some people do that. They'll travel together as a family. There are positives and negatives with that. Traveling with the family. You can imagine some of the things that you have to think about when you travel about ministering with your whole family. There's some advantages and or disadvantages about traveling alone. And so you have to weigh those out. I am glad that the Lord has not called me into a traveling ministry. When I think about people, there's family and fellowship. One of the things we've noticed, because of the stand that we take as separated Baptists, we have less fellowship with some of our family members because of it. But we have gained a huge family of Christians who are of like faith and practice. And so the Lord is, restores the people. Another promised reward is that of property. He mentioned lands there in verse number 29. In verse 30, he says, But ye shall receive an hundredfold now, and this time houses. So houses and lands, personal or physical property. And we give that. And there are people who give their personal property to the things. This is a promise of being blessed materially. Now, there's a group of people, of course, today in the Christian world that talk about the health-wealth uh, uh, mentality. You give everything to the Lord. I think trying to base it on things like this, and it'll come back to you. Again, the principle is there, yes. Cast your bread upon the water, and it'll come back to you. You can't outgive the Lord. We understand all these things. But it may not be that God wants you to give your house and your land. Now, he did say, forsake all. Peter said, we have left all. Well, I still own a house. Am I willing to give that house to the Lord? It's like, that's okay, but where am I going to live? Well, should I trust the Lord? Well, okay, how about you? 
You willing to do that? I don't think that's necessarily what the Lord has in mind for us to do. I think it's a mindset, an attitude of giving all to the Lord. Yes, the Lord has promised to provide our food, clothing, and shelter there in in Matthew chapter number 6. And the provision of that is sometimes through actually owning that property. You know, everybody has to work that out for themselves and be comfortable with what the Lord wants for all of those things. You know, I keep thinking maybe there's somebody that can give us a piece of property for a church. The Lord can do that. He's done that to a number of churches in the past. Physical property. So physical property to give up, when you do that, the Lord gives back. My grandfather was was one who gave his land for them to build a brand new church building. My grandfather was blessed because of that. God gave that back. Not necessarily in physical kind, but just blessings untold that you can't measure. And so I think that's what the Lord is talking about here. You can't outgive the Lord. There's no man that has left house, father, brother, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, the land. For my sake in the Gospels, that's the criterion, by the way, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time. So God gives a hundred times back, and that's a promise there of physical blessing. Property. People, property, and persecution. That's a reward for serving the Lord. That's a strange one, isn't it? But that's what he says. Verse 30. Brethren, sisters, mothers, children, lands, with persecution. A reward. Hmm, let's think about that for a moment. A true disciple receives the reward of persecution. It's a shocking statement. It's about as shocking, if not more shocking, of the statement that Jesus made earlier to the young man, the rich young ruler, when he told him to leave all. And the disciples questioned that, and the Lord said that it was easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than it was for the rich man to be saved. And the disciples marveled at that and said, well, then who can be saved? So now Jesus is saying this, and they're saying, well, who then can be blessed of the Lord? And so it's a shocking statement. How can persecution be considered a reward? Well, let's take a look at some places. Let's go to Peter's passage. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, if you're like me, you are not looking forward to persecution. 1 Peter 4.14. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. There's the reward of persecution. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you on their part. He is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. This is probably why Paul and Silas could sing in prison. Because they're persecuted and happy that they're able to be persecuted for the cause of Christ. And of course that's the criterion, right? For the cause of Christ. And not persecuted because you have created your own problem. People being mean and nasty to you because you being mean and nasty to them. That's not persecution. I wrote down this phrase and I forgot to look up the verse. Where's the verse that it's in Philippians about the fellowship of his sufferings? Is that Philippians 3.10? Let's take a look at that. Philippians 3.10. Paul says, That I may know him, that's Christ, of course, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Christ was persecuted and suffered, of course, on the cross. 
the fellowship of his sufferings. That's a good phrase. There's a reward of persecution when we follow Christ. In suffering for Christ, the disciple experiences a very special identification with Christ. The fellowship of his suffering. Again, we're not necessarily looking forward to persecution, but it is a reward, part of the reward, that God gives a hundredfold if we serve him. So, kind of a strange thought, but, and then like Matthew in the, um, I think it's part of the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 11 and 12, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. The reward for persecution coming. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. That's Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12. Of course, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12 that those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So persecution is coming if we live a godly life, and we can see that developing. We shouldn't be afraid of that, all right? If they hate you, Jesus said, they hated me before they hated you. And there's a fellowship in his suffering. Again, I'm not looking for this. I don't want to wish persecution upon anybody. We're praying for Marian Ibrahim to be released in Sudan, persecuted for her faith in the Lord. We're praying for Sahid Abedini in uh, Iran uh, being persecuted for his faith in the Lord. There are hundreds of others like them all across the world. If that's not here yet in America, it is coming as our state, if the Lord allows this to happen, becomes an Islamic state, you can be sure that Christians will be persecuted. And they may not all be persecuted. We do know that during the tribulation, that believers will be persecuted. That's prophesied in the book of Revelation. Those of us, who, of course, who know the Lord will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air uh, in the rapture before the tribulation occurs. But that's not to say we will not have persecution in this life. Again, I'm not wishing that upon anybody or looking forward to it, but it is part of the reward of being a servant. It makes you wonder who is going to be persecuted. You think about the way that Christianity is today and compromising. All right, so we have three rewards so far. Let me give you the fourth one. The fourth reward for the faithful Christian is perfection. We have the reward of people, property, persecution, and perfection. Back in our text, Mark chapter 10. And in this world to come, in the world to come, eternal life. Okay, so that's what we get, the promise of eternal life. The true disciple, of course, receives eternal life in Christ. And so that perfect world that comes where we receive life in Christ, eternal life, that's the promise of the gospel. The Lord told the rich young ruler in Mark 10:21, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And that was what made Peter say, we have left all and followed thee. Now we understand, of course, let me throw this out, that the criterion for salvation is not selling on giving it to Christ. The criterion for salvation is always faith. 
Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. This young ruler did not believe in Christ. He was rich. He was not willing to part with his riches and embrace Christ. He didn't lose eternal life because he didn't give all he had. He lost eternal life because he didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, that's clear from John 3 and verses 17 and 18. Christ came not to condemn the world because they're already condemned. Why? Because they will not believe. So the young ruler did not believe. And because he did not believe, he did not go back and sell everything that he had and give to the poor. He wanted to hold on to his riches more than he really wanted Christ. Now, let's look at the summary of this lesson in verse 31. He says, But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. There are two changes in the order of exaltation. Let's compare them. Let's compare the now versus the then. Now, if you put God first and yourself last, which of course is the way it should be, if you put God first and yourself last, what happens in the end? Self will come first. God will exalt you. Many that are first shall be last and the last first. The other scenario, if you put self first now, everything's about you. What's going to happen in the end? Self will be last. My wife taught school and I watched her do this and I watched other teachers do this. If there's a boy or girl who's pushing and shoving in the line to get to the front, you say, okay, Bobby, go to the back of the line. You push and shove to get to the front. And we have a lot of people pushing and shoving to get ahead of everybody else. In whatever way it is, financially, stepping over, climbing over, hurting one another to get to the top. And God says, if you are first now, you're going to be last. Now, is it just a matter of being first and last and the desire of all of that? No, it's a matter of faith. We put ourselves last, we deny ourselves, we take up the cross and follow Christ and de-exalt, is that a word, ourselves so that he will exalt us in the future. We're trying to teach the children a lesson. If you're trying to climb up over everybody to get to the top, you're going to be last. It's a biblical principle. And the Lord is the one, of course, who does all the demotion and so forth. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body. According to that, he hath done whether it be good or bad. And God knows not only what we have done, but he knows the reasons why we have done what we have done. And I think the judgment there is going to be not just for what we have done or not done, but for why we have done what we have done or why we have not done what we have not done. So that's something to think about as well. And of course, we're also told in the book of 1 Corinthians that our work is going to be manifest, whether it's gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, stubble. The wood, hay, stubble is going to be burned up. The gold, silver, precious stone will be tried by fire but preserved. And so we'll be saved, yet so as by fire. So two changes. If God is first and you're last now, you will be first in the end time. If you put yourself first now, yourself will be last in the time to come. So may the Lord help us to be faithful servants. Do as Peter said he did. Leave all and follow Christ and be those faithful servants. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity once again to look at this Gospel of Mark. 
and the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, teaching us how to be a servant. And there are many things for us to learn. We still need to learn the art of serving. And we have the tendency to be the one who wants to put ourselves first. We are still in need of denying ourselves and putting Christ first, making the Lord increase and ourselves decrease. Ourselves always want to get up there in the way and we need to put ourselves down and let the Lord be exalted. May we be those kinds of servants, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 429. Ready. Not quite a familiar song. Let's stand together. And we've sung it before. Number 429. Ready to suffer grief or pain. Ready to stand the test. Ready to say, This is Dr. Lee Hennies, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached the church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again. Mm-hmm.